0: Hey, what's up everybody? Happy Thanksgiving. Welcome to Tom Current's Patriots Talk Podcast, featuring Phil Perry, and alongside us is the quarterback Matt Castle. Today we're gonna talk Kyler Murray and Doug Flutie. In addition, is being a mobile quarterback a prerequisite for the position now? Matt will discuss that. And we're gonna look into this matchup against the Arizona Cardinals that's coming up. And if you have anything to be thankful for, let's hear it. All that moron and what that means but do. All right. Again, happy Thanksgiving, Phil. Happy Thanksgiving, Matt. Happy Thanksgiving. happy Thanksgiving, T. I got a bone and I'm about to pick it. I said on Sunday during pregame live that the ceiling for Kyler Murray was Doug Flutie. There was snickering. There was harumphing. There was tisk tisking There were people who thought that that was discrediting. Kyler Murray, uh, the opposite is true. And then today it was brought up on one of our email threads by Rob Snyder, AKA Buckets, who's a college basketball aficionado, clearly not a professional football aficionado when he said he thought it was ridiculous to compare the two. Look, this is a compliment. And if Doug Flutie popped out of the NFL draft right now, you'd have a conversation as to whether or not you wanted him or Kyler Murray. I swear to God you would. Now. I'm going to let you guys fire back because nobody wants to hear me talk for four minutes at the top, but I am loaded for bear.
1: Listen, I think you're looking at, in Kyler Murray, one of the best athletes we've ever seen at the position. I don't think that's an overstatement. Where he is at right now in terms of his production running the football, running wise, he is essentially right there with where Lamar Jackson was last year. And I don't know if you put him in a race who would win in a straight line down the field, but that's how good he is on the ground. That's how productive he's been. He's a good passer, Matt. I don't think he's a great passer yet. I think he has a good arm, but he's not quite as accurate as some others that you would put in this category of the mobile new fangled 2020 NFL quarterback. But Tom and Matt, Matt, you played with the guy, Doug Flutie. Was he that athletic, where he could almost take over a game with his legs?
2: Look, at thirty-six, I, I, right? Well, when I was well, you with, played with him at thirty-six, right? No, I played with him at forty-one. This oh. was Yeah, I think he was 41 when he was with the Patriots. So Woo. I got the tail end of his career. Now he could still throw it and sling it around. And if you're comparing stature, then yes, they have the exact same stature and Doug Flutie could run around and do all those things. Now in his younger days, I'm sure he was more athletic and could run around a lot more. Maybe he's 31 and all that. But when you talk about Kyler Murray, this guy is an absolute freak of nature. And like Phil just said, he's one of those guys that can create with his legs, but he also, he doesn't get enough credit. He actually likes to stay in the pocket and throw the ball. And with the weather that they had particularly deandre hopkins but also christian what what am i saying christian kirk Kirk, andy isabella you know they've got a great cast of character larry fitzgerald who primarily now plays in the slot but he's a reliable guy he throws the ball really really well and and they they attack him and he gets the ball quick he's almost got a 68 percent completion record i mean completion percentage and so this guy is special and i I know i I understand the comparison okay tyler murray is a different player than what Doug Flutie is. He is, but here's
0: the thing. And I know that this is not really highlighting the NFL right now and what we're talking about, but to look at Doug Flutie as not a predecessor and forerunner of guys like Kyler Murray, or probably superior to guys like Lamar Jackson is absolutely cuckoo. The NFL was ill suited for Doug Flutie when he came out and you saw it went to the USFL first, then comes to the NFL. Nobody wants to give him a job. He goes from the age of 28, to 36, up to Canada, throws for like 60,000 yards, runs for 600 or more yards five times in the eight seasons he's up there, throws for 6,000 yards one year, and yeah, it's it's Canada that that happens up there. Then he comes back at 36 and he leads the Bills to like a 21 and 8 record over a three-year span when he came back. Absolutely sees it. He was a good NFL quarterback from 36 to 39. So what I'm trying to say is anyone who will look at Doug Flutie as a comp for Kyler Murray is shortchanging Kyler Murray. You're talking about one of the most productive throwing and running quarterbacks in the history of the national, well in the history of professional <laughs> football.
1: <laughs> I, and look, Kyler Murray would be doing great if his career lasted as long as Doug Flutie's because right. already, and we're going to be talking about this this week, he's already dealing with injury and it's, it's not soft tissue. It's because he's getting banged around. He's, he's taken too many hits already. I, I think, you know, he would a, he'd have a lot to learn from Lamar Jackson, honestly, as far as some of that goes, because he's done a good job of protecting himself for the most part, even though he's slight, whereas Kyler Murray really hasn't yet. And so I have no idea if he's going to play as long as even Doug Flutie's second stint in the NFL. But if you're just talking about the caliber of athlete, I think Kyler Murray and again, I wasn't around, you know, when he was throwing the heel, right. like, the, like I was in diapers. He had
0: a friggin' rocket.
2: He would have a rocket. That- and he threw with all parts of his, like, his entire body went into every single throw, but he could fire that ball. Even at 41, I would sit there and be like, wow, Doug Flutie's amazing. Then again, I'd have to agree with Phil. Kyler Murray is a different breed of athlete. And, and like you said, I think Doug Flutie probably set the tone for the these guys and the mobile quarterbacks and all that stuff. But when you talk about just Comparison, even Doug Flutie in his prime versus Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is a better athlete than what Doug Flutie ever was.
0: Okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, you have to say that he could run faster and he's probably more sudden. I'll, I'll give you those things, but creativity, I don't know if you're going to find a lot of guys more creative um, than him. But
1: as you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job?
0: Phil, you wanted to hit on whether or not that skill set, even if it isn't off the charts as it is with Jackson or Murray or even Patrick Mahomes, is a prerequisite.
1: What are you thinking there, guy? I'm thinking it is. Unless you have a a supercomputer for a brain. So if you're Tom Brady or you're Drew Brees and you can still get by by being a pure pocket passer, that's one thing those guys are rare. The guys that are more common now, as crazy as it is to say, are the guys that I think even five or six years ago would have been considered physical unicorns. The Deshaun Watsons, the Patrick Mahomeses, Josh Allen. You look at this year's draft, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, all these guys are six foot three, 220-ish pounds. They all can run. They all have some quickness to be able to elude that first rusher. And Matt, I think you need that now. I don't know if it's just because the quality of athlete on the other side of the ball has gotten better. So you need these guys that can avoid these really athletic, freaky, freaky defensive linemen that are coming into the league every year. Um, I, I I think you have to have it. And I think lucky for the NFL they're getting more and more athletes that are playing the position at a young, younger age. So these guys are, are coming along and they're not as rare as they used to be. But do you feel that way? As the guy who's played the position, when you look at the game now, do you look at somebody like, even like a Drew Locke, who I, I think you know is a, is a decent athlete, but he's not what some of these other guys are. You're sort of starting from behind and, and you find yourself in some dicey spots if you don't have that sort of base level of, of athleticism, which needs to be really good
2: right I think the time of the pocket passer like your traditional tall tall stature big heavy guys are going to stick in the pocket or time of the pass. honestly it's evolving into you have to be a great athlete and the skill set that these guys have coming out of college now you see it throughout the league you just mentioned a bunch of names and what's happening is the the, that everybody on the offensive side is starting to catch up to that the offensive coordinators are starting to study these college game they're starting to understand it more the RPO game you start to see all that stuff and so it's definitely a Evolving and you, and you spoke, you, you said a great point right there is that the defense and those guys on the defense side, they're becoming so athletic at the defensive line in particular. And you've got, you still got those big bulky offensive line, but it'll be interesting That's... to see. It'll be interesting to see. If it starts to evolve as well, where they go to a little bit smaller, more athletic offensive linemen because of that same reason, because you're getting a little bit smaller size on the defense side of the ball, but at the same time, the athleticism's there. These guys run four fives, four six. And so at the quarterback position, to be able to get outside the pocket, to break runs, to do all those things, to be another runner, then it, it's starting to give them a benefit. And they're starting to see that. Now, the big question for me is down the road is, uh, there's a lot of young guys right now that are playing the position that you said have the skill set, but how is that going to translate to longevity in the league? Now, are they going to be able to stay healthy? And guys like Russell Wilson's been able to prove it, but he also does a tremendous job of protecting himself. And some of these young guys, as you see, like with the Josh Allen's of the world, they're putting themselves in danger. And I saw it with Marcus Mariota, where he's fighting for extra yards mm-hmm. and you run that crack sweep with the quarterback and do that stuff. Well, these guys, they get hit constantly. And then so you put. You, you you put more pressure on these guys to go out and make plays, but at the same time, the level of impacts that they're going to have in terms of defense getting hit constantly, you, you're going to see the injury rate go up as well. He mentioned the, the defensive line, superior athletes, and the offensive line, Matt, you mentioned it. Here's the other
0: aspect of the offensive line that's intriguing when you look if you're building a team. I don't have the time to coach these guys offensive line-wise. I don't have as much time as I did previously. They're not as good an athlete. There are too many breakdowns. There's too many twists, crosses, and every other things that defensive lines do. So when you do have a sitting duck, like Tom Brady was against the Rams the other day, or has been against New Orleans when you fall behind, it's a problem. It's a problem for Thomas Edward Patrick Brady, who we're going to discuss in just a couple of minutes. But is it now at a point, guys, where you sacrifice accuracy and the ability to read defenses, or at least say we can deal with that? As long as this guy can can make a six on a third and five with his feet, I, I think, think he, it's think yeah. he do.
2: Go I mean, ahead, Matt. I was going to say that that's just exactly what we're talking about in terms of having an advantage is just those certain types of scenarios where you see it with Lamar Jackson all the time. It's third and eight, third and six, and all of a sudden protection breaks down or the coverage is just so good on the back end. He can make two guys miss and scramble for that first down. And that's where he really helps you where these other quarterbacks, when you get in those passing situations and you're sitting back there and you might be able to scramble every now and then, but you don't make the number of plays that these guys do. So the red zone, I mean the third down efficiency, you see it in the red zone, as well they become impactful players and plays because they can do it with their legs and their arms
1: yeah i think what we're seeing too is that coaches are more willing to run a simplified style offense Mm -hmm. if that's what it takes to get that great athlete on your team whether it's you know the, the ravens and we've talked about how predictable they've become you know that that's okay if you're in the right game scripts when you have an olympic caliber athlete playing quarterback I think Brian Dayball has done a great job of, of simplifying some things for Josh Allen over the course of the last couple of years to help him turn into the quarterback that he's become. And I think you are getting to a point where, okay, if he can't get to his third read and make the right throw against a pressure that's disguised from the second level, that's okay. As long as he can make that pressure guy miss and get outside mm-hmm. the pocket and pick up five yards. I mean, and then we you, can restart and go again.
0: Well, you saw Watson do the other day. is the most evolved aspect of it. I would think Matt, right. Right. Not only can he hit a pair of hands that are just, you know, all you can see is the fingertips present, but he can also walk past your pass rushers, like your legitimate pass rushers. Oh, it's John Simon. Pretty good athlete. I saw him. Yeah. just going to walk around over here and then throw it into a porthole sized window. That is, and I'm, you know, we had the conversation last week about where Watson fits. And I said, he takes too many sacks and all that stuff. I mean, Russell Wilson has 33 sacks taken this year. Do you believe that? Um, but it is wild to think that that's the gold standard.
2: Watson, Wilson. Um, Mahomes. Mahomes. Mahomes is just freaking out loud, he, he's, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, uh, you got those two. And then you got Mahomes and you're like, wow.
0: It's Jesus bizarre. But, but you're also, right. I mean, you got to go there. Right. And who and, do you go to? Do you go to it? Do you take the risk of getting whoosh, North Dakota State's Trey Lance that Phil had in his mock draft and end up with Carson Wentz? Mm,
2: I God, mean, that's the bit yeah. of it. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's tough. But you know what's interesting also is the approach from the defensive side of the ball also is watching how they how they scheme up these guys. Cause you can even see with the Patriots, right? They want to maintain their rush lanes, keep them in front, but they are not trying to get to the quarterback. They're just trying to keep them in front to get in. And then sometimes they'll just rush three. So it changes just the overall approach from these defensive coordinators. Cause they're saying, look, we got to keep this guy in the pocket because he can hurt us with his legs. So then it minimizes the rush a little bit. And then you have to make the, you have the question, like Phil said, do I pressure? And if I pressure and this guy gets outside the pocket now, He's got all that ability to run. You can't play a ton of man because if you play a ton of man against these guys, they take off run, your back's turned, and now it's a big game there. So it, it also cha- fundamentally changes how these defenses are going to approach these, these type of quarterbacks and how the rush lanes are going to happen. Are they going to run as many games, get out of position, and let them break contain? So there, there's a lot of um, advantage to these athletic quarterbacks. There's no doubt about it.
1: And Tom, I, I asked Bill Belichick this morning whether or not that athleticism that we're talking about is a prerequisite at the position now. And he wouldn't go there. He said, you know, every quarterback's going to have his strengths and his weaknesses. And so I'm sure somewhere in Bill Belichick's brain, if he sees the next Tom Brady come around or the next Peyton Manning come around, is just a next level surgeon at the position, then he would be open to taking that guy. I just think your better shot is, and, and there are more of these guys in the pool is of going with an athlete. And if you can get both, if you can get to Sean Watson, if you can get Patrick Mahomes or Russell Wilson, that's the golden ticket, right? But you're almost, I think you're, you're running even more of a risk by passing on one of those guys than you are by taking one and ending up with Carson Wentz, for instance, because think of all yep. those teams that passed on to Sean Watson, who goes at, I think number 12, you have Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes who goes at number 10 overall the year he was drafted. Think about the teams that saw those guys and said, ah, eh, strong arm can move a little bit, but, yeah, not quite accurate enough, or
0: we're not Think sure he's going to be able
1: to run the pro concepts well enough. No, you just get the really, really good athlete and hope he can take you to the next level.
0: Think about this too. When the Patriot, the Patriots have not been provided great testimony that those guys didn't work for them because you can maintain that Jimmy Garoppolo was what you get a knockoff of one of the great ones at the top. And Jacoby Brissett, a third round version of what one of those great ones could be. You know, if Jimmy was a little bit more um, bold and durable, for instance, if Jacoby Brissett was a little bit more uh, fast and a better decision maker. I mean, both those guys had the leadership intangibles, but they were both knockoffs in terms of their experience and their level of athleticism. So I think the Patriots will fill even though I continue to look at next year's draft and say, Bill's going to take himself a pass rusher or a defensive tackle. I look at it and say that they're not going to get some landlocked guy. If they do in the top 15, go to a quarterback, he will be open-minded enough to do that. Now, Bill also knows Matt, how to defend these shorter quarterbacks. I go back to Flutie because Belichick did have great success against him um, in different times. And when he did, It was because of a concept that he used to, or at least the players used to talk about, is making him throw out of a barrel, Mm. which I thought was cool. Making him throw out of a trash can. You wall him off the same way you do with Russell Wilson and everybody else, but you make it so it's difficult for him to see downfield. So I look at that. I look at the injury that Kyler Murray is going to come into this game with, Matt. And I look at the disorganization of of the Arizona Cardinals defense. On a short week with a holiday in it. And I know they've been off for a couple of days. I think the Patriots are going to win this football game.
2: Yeah, it'll be an interesting matchup because I don't think that you can say that a guy like Kyler Murray is going to come out and play like Deshaun Watson did last week, even with all the weapons that they have. Now, the one thing that this offense does a really good job of is they get the ball out quick. He gets the ball mm-hmm. out and bubble screens. they throw a lot of slip screens on the outside. It's a lot of in, in, our, in our world, it's a three-step drop mentality where you're just getting the ball out on stop routes, hitch routes to so DeAndre Hopkins, giving him an opportunity, but they also throw the ball down the field. So, But but what you're saying is they have to get pushed in the middle of the field. I mean, in the middle of that interior part of the defensive line. So that's going to be what they preach. They're going to get their hands up. You're going to try to make it hard for him to see. At the same time, your lane distribution, your lane integrity has to be good against this guy because it's not just designed runs with him. He, he does an, a remarkable job of sitting back there, waiting, 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 just like we saw Deshaun Watson, and then gets outside the pocket. So it'll be an interesting game plan because the last two times we've seen him play, right, whether it's it's Mahomes, whether it's Deshaun, whether it's Lamar, you saw the same de- defensive structure it's more of a zone base they've got four guys down at the line of scrimmage however these guys are super dangerous on the outside mm-hmm. as well so the, the the dbs have to step up this week and play well but that's going to be a big part of this game plan for for the new england patriots is to be able to put pressure on him on the interior part of the pocket and not allow him to see as well
1: i look at this and, and again it just comes back to just how good an athlete kyle murray is and how good an athlete Deshaun watson was because there were plays Ted Johnson did a good job of breaking these down for Monday Night Patriots. But there were plays where they started to collapse that pocket around Deshaun Watson the way they wanted to, with three or four defenders flooding the field with coverage guys and trying to make him a throw it into a tight window from a tight area, but he's so athletic, and Carlo Murray is so athletic, and he's so much smaller than Deshaun Watson. I just envision him Pac-Man style mm-hmm. weaving his way in and out of these defenders to find these openings. It's You know, it's great to have that crush rush plan and to try to collapse that pocket around someone, but unless you can close off every two foot by two foot area of open space, which you really can't do in reality, he's going to have a way to leak out and escape. So I don't know, Tom, what you do because the spying thing hasn't really worked for them either. They've used, you know, Jawan Bentley, God bless him. Very good, I think, still run defender in the middle of the field. But he's not the kind of athlete that can run on him. him. That might be what (laughs) they have to do. But that's another 250 (laughs) guy chasing around
0: little Kyler Murray. But look at Here you got a guy who's already run for 659 yards. His average is 6.2 per carry. He is the fortunes upon which everything rides, no matter how good DeAndre Hopkins and Buda Baker and everybody else is on that team. You can't get him hurt in a non-conference game. Non-conference? Anyway, (laughs) my big 10 here, uh, but I wouldn't, if I'm Clifford of Kingsbury, I am not having him run around out there. I mean, get rid of the frigging thing, Matt.
2: Yeah. You don't want to. And I'm sure that that'll be part of the game plan too, is trying to get it out. And, but it'll be interesting to see how the Patriots counter, right? Are they going to play a ton of man and just say, you know what? This this week, we're going to pressure him and see if we can get after him a little bit. Play man-to-man, take our chances on the back end. Look, last week was one of those situations where he was surgical. Deshaun Watson was surgical, like you said. The coverage wasn't terrible by any means. He just was pinpoint accurate. Now, can this guy go out and do that? I don't believe he can. So you go out there, you play a ton of man-to-man, you pressure him, you get in his face, and you hit him, and then to make him think, look, is, how's my shoulder feeling? And if he's got to get out and run, he, he like your just natural instincts take over sometimes and you're going to go out and run if you're on the field and you feel healthy enough to play you're not going to be worried about your shoulder maybe he shoots it up who knows but he's going to be out there and playing his style game but it'll be interesting to see their approach because the last few times that they've played these athletic quarterbacks it's been the same type of game plan so they can go to that film and watch it and kind of game plan scheme that particular structure and see if they can come up with something a little bit easier here's why it might
1: be a good idea tom for for kingsbury to just demand that he sit back and throw from the pocket Patriots defense is just not been good against the pass. I mean, they are last in football in yards per attempt allowed. They're almost nine yards per attempt allowed with that secondary. It still boggles my mind Mm -hmm. how, even though there's not a ton of talent up front in the front seven, we talked about it, you and I, Tom, right after that Texans game, because it was just so glaring in that game, but you've got talent in the secondary. I, you know, we all thought they did at least coming into the season and to be where they are on a per pass basis to be allowing that kind of, Production, 69% completion percentage. Like if you're Kyler Murray, you say, yep, this is a week I can avoid a few hits. And if I I have to throw a few away, I should throw a few away. And
0: it's so counter to Bill in terms of make your team matriculate it down the field and don't get it give it up in chunks. And they give it up in chunks. Matt, I'm gonna turn I'm gonna turn it over to you for two different reasons. One, we started off with Flutie, we veered away. I want to hear some of your recollections of Flutie and your career and how they interlapped mm. overlapped also i want to hear about that matchup with the arizona cardinals in 2008 in the snow that you yes. went off in yes. and then finally do you ever wish you followed the clifford of kingsbury track so let's start off with your uh, right. with Doug flutie
2: flutie yeah. was Awesome. He lived. He still lived in the '80s, even though it was 2005 when he was with us. He drew, I think it was a, a Corvette with a big eagle on the front that he drove up in. I mean, it's a Trans Am. I mean, oh, Trans Am. There you go. I mean, it was unbelievable. He and then he had every story that you could ever. And he was a little kid at a playground every time he showed up. That's what I always loved about Doug is that he wanted to talk about baseball. He played in a hardball league in the off season. That he would always tell me his stats. He was pitching in the off season in the hardball league. I I mean, he's trying to get ready for a football season and he's pitching in a hardball league. I mean, it was comical. Then he'd go down and he'd go, go to the, the Red Sox game and go field, field batting practice. I mean, he was a legend. And then when we'd sit in meetings, like there was a lot that went into this offense. And as we always talk about, right, you have to be on the mic calls and, and changing protection. And, and he would be like, look, Josh, if I get in there, just max it up, put, give, give me two backs in the backfield, max it up, call, I'll go, I'll make something happen. That was his deal. He's like, that's what, that's what he was most comfortable with. And he would circle that every single week. And I remember it, but he was, a, he was a great guy to be around. He had unbelievable stories and the, uh, he just, he, he was such a young guy in a 41 year old's body. Did you play hoop with him ever? No, oh, absolutely not. Cause he'd crush me. I'm not a good Hooper. Oh yeah. You said that. Well, explain
0: to me. Your first touchdown pass in the National Football League, and how Flutie actually overshadowed it in 2006.
2: Right, my first touchdown pass was to Tammy Dwight. We were down in the red zone. I hit him on a little return route. He went in, and I was like, "Yes, touchdown!" First it's against touchdown Miami, right? Ever, against Miami, right? Late in the year, and the reason I was playing is because we had already clinched. So I got to play about three quarters. So this was, I believe, the fourth quarter. We threw the touchdown pass. Then all of a sudden, Doug Flutie comes on the field. In the stadium erupts. Yeah, Flutie! <laughs> and everybody's like, "What's going on? Are they going for?" A two-point conversion we didn't really need to at all at that point and of course then we get into a field goal alignment now the defense is super confused because they st- kept their regular defense out there and of course no no pressure whatsoever he drops it boom drop kick through the thing everybody goes crazy he's doing the fist pump everybody's <laughs> wild like it, it was awesome and the everybody's going crazy and then the next series i come back out on the field and people are upset They're like, Flutie, Flutie, (laughs) boo. I was like, dang, I know Flutie's a legend. He was a legend, but I was like, hey, you know what? I threw a touchdown pass. It's all good. So, but yeah, that was my first, uh, that was my first touchdown pass, but it's pretty special, I think, for Flutie as well, because it hadn't been attempted or done for however long, probably. Yeah, Phil,
0: that to me, it's against Saban too. So it seemed a little out of character for Bill to step out like that. Do you remember that, Philly?
1: I do remember it. And I actually had a chance to talk to Doug Flutie about that at Super Bowl this week for our podcast on the Bill Belichick you didn't know. And that was his story, was about how that whole thing came together and about how it was Chris Berman from ESPN who was hanging out in Bill Belichick's office in the middle of the season. It must have been in the lead up to that week, Matt. You said uh, that the team had practiced that dropkick. I don't know how long they were practicing it for. But it sounded like... It sounded like from Flutie's perspective that Bill basically called him into the office and and Boomer's sitting right there saying, hey, Doug, you think you could drop And it started there. And it was really a conversation with Chris Berman that that whole thing was born out of. And of course flutie still loves talking about he was going a million miles an hour super bowl week <laughs> yeah. loved getting back into that memory and uh about how funny it was and how giddy like it was subdued but it was like you could tell There was a little twinkle in bill's eye when they started that conversation and dude and flutie of course took it and ran with it
0: um matt cliff kingsbury predated you here right. um as the backup came out of texas tech drafted and then i guess you would say you replaced him kind of yeah
2: uh, I guess so. Yeah. because Well, when I got there, it was Rohan Davey, Doug Flutie, Chris Redman, and then myself was fifth on the depth, depth chart when they put it up the first day I showed up. So I think Cliff had just left the year before, maybe the, the year prior to that.
0: When you look at the track, obviously he
2: wasn't the quarterback you are. Let's call it like we see it.
0: I mean, you had a 14 year career. You went to the Pro Bowl. You had a 27 touchdowns, seven pick year. You you know, were highly skilled player to play that long. Cliff didn't have that. Do you look at the track that he's on now and ever say, not that you would give back the 14 years of professional football, but I wonder if I could do what he's doing.
2: You know, I do. And it's gone through my mind about coaching because I I love the process and I love going in there and grinding during the week and figuring it out, watching the film and all the little details that go into the preparation of it. And I also feel like I've been around enough good coaches to where I feel like I would add value in some manner. At the same time, the hardest part is the commitment to time. Mm in terms of having a young family. I've got five kids, 10, all the way down to three. Yep. Believe it or not. And so then you're also at the mercy of, is the head coach having success? Is your team having success? As you well know, the tenure for a lot of these coaches aren't that long. And then are you going to move your family and d- disrupt that pattern school, everything else? And that's the hardest decision for me because I love the game. I would love being able to help and, and, and coach and do that and stay a part of it. But then there's that aspect of it too, that I always take into consideration. So, but Cliff's done a great job and obviously he, he's proven his, his worth and he, he's doing a really good job with this team that he's got going right now.
1: Well, Matt, I would just say be careful because when you podcast with, with myself and with Tom, whether you're Gerard Mayo or you're Troy Brown, you somehow end up back on the sidelines somewhere. I think it's just, it's Tremendous really exposure. It's a training ground really for, for future NFL coaches. So whether you know it or not, I'm just, just keeping you.
0: you get, in and look. it's right. slants too with Kay Adams and, and, and Casey Smith. And of course, you know, that's certainly the same type of situation exists there. It's uh, just really a springboard to greater things. Um, mm-hmm. What, what, I don't want to stay on this too long, but I'm actually curious now,
2: what kind of an offense would you run? What kind of offense? Um, You know, I take bits and pieces from from different places I've been in. And also, it's what what kind of personnel do you have? Like you said, is the quarterback that you have more of a pocket passer? Because the system that we had when I first came to New England, I I know that system really well because I was in it for four years. And it was one of the most consistent – throughout my career in terms of the coordinator and understanding the little nuances, why we do certain stuff at the same time, you know, you know, it's always interesting because attacking personnel in a certain way. And I love the empty aspect. I also love getting big. I love the changing of the personnel groups. When I say getting big, I mean, multiple tight ends. I know
0: what you mean. I just want to them down, put them down,
2: baby. <laughs> put it, 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 It's always difficult when somebody says, Oh, well, what type of offense would you, well, it, it always is predicated right. on the type of skill players that you have and the, who you got playing the quarterback position.
1: I think that would be a lot of fun to watch you do that. So um, what's interesting to me, Tom, is that what we see, and again, this gets back to Matt's point of building around the guys you have at quarterback, when you do have some pretty good athletes, even if they're not elite athletes, you see more and more of these teams running that Kubiak Shanahan style scheme Mm -hmm. where guys are getting on the move and getting big with the personnel and trying to take advantage of matchups and just trying to make it easy on these young quarterbacks who aren't used to coming from college playing in systems like the one Matt came into the NFL with, or that Tom Brady mastered, like that's not what they're running at the college level. And these coaches are trying to make it, I think a lot easier for them and trying to replicate what they're doing in college. It's just, football is just so interesting because things it's a trickle up sport, Mm -hmm. meaning sometimes it even starts in high school and then the high school stuff gets to college. And then now the college stuff is getting to the NFL. And so if you're, if you're a personnel person or a head coach, you got to kind of, take bits and pieces of what's going to work for them based on their experience and maybe not try to shove like a very advanced system down their throats. Good deal.
0: Hey, um, we now need to move on to Thomas Edward, Patrick Brady. And my feeling of what happened on Monday night was that it was almost more troubling in some ways than the new Orleans game and the new Orleans game, you went three and out three and out three and out. They weren't horrendous plays on the third downs. New Orleans scored. It's 21-0. You know, the crap's rolling downhill. You get overwhelmed. This game was in some ways I thought fellas a little more troubling because those were crunch time knee buckling. Hold your helmet. Oh my God, place. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with Tom, fellas?
2: Uh, you know, it's <laughs> It's interesting because you watch those games and I thought he had a pretty good first half and then they came out in the second half and and laid a dud. And like you said, the two interceptions were really bad interceptions. It weren't like, oh, bang, bang plays in which it was great coverage. It was just he misread the defense. He threw it to the wrong guy. And then the other part was we we continue to talk about the deep ball inefficiency, I guess it is. And they haven't been effective. And you saw Mike Evans even on the one go route down the sideline that Tom just threw out of bounds. And you can see that. Bruce Arian has a level of frustration and he's not, he, he's definitely not holding any punches in terms of going to the media and saying, look, we've got to hit those. We've got to read it better. I think that the disguise kind of hurt, hurt Tom. He didn't really understand exactly what was going on. And so it was interesting to hear a head coach come out and criticize Tom to that degree, especially with some of the missed throws and all that going on. And, and I'll say this, I talked to Carson Palmer and Carson Palmer is one of my good friends and it, with his first year in the Arizona. Name dropper. Well, the first year. Really, I mean, it's
1: just unabashed.
2: Well, guys, he was my roommate in college. I just really like him, and you know, (laughs) DJ hears about this. But yeah, yeah, let DJ. But what I was gonna say, sorry, I had to say Carson Palmer that I know him and talk to him about it because he struggled too. His first year in Bruce Arians system. Oh, Phil. 2013, when he took over, he had 24 touchdowns with 22 interceptions, which is his highest of his entire career. And he said, it's a complicated system. And they're asking you to do things that maybe you're not as familiar with. It's obviously a vertical passing game that if you're not, you know, it's not something that you've run, which obviously Brady hasn't run that for 20 years. They're adapting, they're adjusting and making making uh, the offense more friendly to what Tom's done in the past. But at the same time, he said, there's everything from little nuances to how they throw their hots, who has their hots, the adjustments that they make. And so uh, it it takes time not to say that they shouldn't be on the same page at this point, but um, you know, there's a lot to be said for that.
1: Matt, I'll have, you know, I too spoke to Carson Palmer, not, just the other day but I spoke to him again Super Bowl Super Bowl week very productive Super week Bowl for me week. Doug Flutie then Carson Palmer but I was talking to him and I was talking to a lot of people in and around the league Kurt Warner was great some coordinators some coaches people that have changed systems which obviously you have a lot of experience with Matt but when it came to Tom Brady it was well wherever he ends up he's just going to run the Patriots offense right and Carson Palmer I thought gave the most candid answer of all which is he's not going to go anywhere and and pick up a new offense. I mean, they're going to run the Brady offense wherever it goes. You know, I had some success in the league, but when I went to Arizona, I didn't have that kind of clout. I wasn't all of a sudden bringing my offense to Bruce Arians. No, I had to learn Bruce Arians' offense and he talked about how difficult that was. And what we're seeing, and this is what I think is the problem. I think physically Tom Brady is fine. He can still make the same throws that we've seen him make for a long time. I think the philosophy is not a good match for the player. I think Tom Brady has long said nothing good happened with the ball in my hands, which mm-hmm. is a nod to, I need to get it out. I need to kill these defenses with a thousand paper cuts. And we knew occasionally he can go down the field, but guys, he is leading the league. He's tied for the league lead in deep pass attempts, 20 yeah. yards or more down the field. Mm-hmm. That's not who he is. And when you look at it over the course of the last month, the numbers have been ridiculous because he's still for over the last month. He's still fourth in deep pass attempts. 19, he's completed one for 44 yards and he has three picks. And he should have had four picks the other night. There was one that was dropped. So his passer rating is 0.0. He's 33rd out of 33 qualifying quarterbacks. That's not his game. And so they need to sit down, Tom. They need to have, it's a holiday season, time to sit down around the table with Bruce Arians and Byron Lefwich and have an awkward family talk and have a come to Jesus sort of moment and say, guys, we have to make a change because what we're doing, it's working at times, Tom, but it's not we're working consistently a, enough.
0: We're not putting him in a position to succeed. And before I go any further, I want to show you guys this. Okay. Oh, All right. Pom.
2: What's up, buddy? Everybody. Oh, okay. You this welcome.
0: whole group, uh, I only have his email and it's from uh, like 2007. <laughs> he can't still be CPAC9US at, can he? I don't know. Uh,
2: Do you have that usc.edu? That's probably the one you still have. No, I got a Yahoo. (laughs) Um, So with Brady, I've come to realize that
0: any pass that has an apex over 15 feet. mm -mm, Nope, not going to work out. The ball has to be thrown lower than 15 feet and it's going to work out just great. But once the ball crests over 15 feet in the air, it's a problem. And I do think that he suffers right now from the lack of time spent together with so many players. I do think bizarrely he is perhaps somewhat handcuffed by the embarrassment of offensive riches. He has cuckoo. There's no excuse for those picks. And you know, you're in the league this long, figure it out, figure it out. But (laughs) Leonard Fournette has hands like feet uh, is another observation I'd like to make, but yeah, he, he is defendable right now. He is defensible by better defenses. And I think that that has to be something that you look at as the playoffs come closer. Yeah. He's still unbelievable. He's a great thrower. If you got a third and three, you want his ass behind center. Um, But on a third and eight, I don't know right now. I just don't know.
1: And Tom, to your point, looking at this, some help from our pals from pro football focus on those passes that are between the line of scrimmage, targeted between the line of scrimmage and 19 yards down the field, so you cut off all those 20 and beyond, very, very good. I mean, he's mm. 70% completions. His rating is 108.9. His touchdown interception ratio is 4 to 1. So you don't have to completely abandon it. I understand you still have to throw deep occasionally in any offense, but it doesn't have to be no risk it, no biscuit every single week where I mean, he's the near the top of the league and throwing it down the field. Oh,
0: yeah. The second you see his shoulders start to go like that, you're like, Oh,
2: I mean, I mean, and if you think about it, when you're throwing the ball 40 yards downfield, 50 yards downfield, we all know that it's a low percentage throw anyway, right? And if you're not pinpoint accurate and a guy's running full speed and you're just off with just a little bit and that guy's got to break stride or something like that, it's a tough completion. And the fact that they continue to go to it, and I know that that might be because opposing defenses are giving them that mm-hmm. opportunity and, they're, and that's just in their general DNA that they're going to take their shots. At the same time, when you look at those efficiency numbers between, like you said, 20 yards and under you can come up with a game plan that works within that and then take your shots every now and then. But we would always say you take one to two shots in your first half, maybe one to two shots, unless somebody's giving you, but it's not bombs away every single time you get the ball. And some of that also might be because they're taking shots downfield, trying to get back on track against the Saints and stuff like that, where they're, they're, they've fallen so far behind where, hey, they're trying to get a huge chunk right now. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things that come into play when you're trying to complete deep passes, and it's one of the more difficult things you can do.
0: Is there a point at which Arians goes to Blaine Gabbert? No. <laughs> <I just laughs> to, I
2: just absolutely to it not. 100% zero. <laughs> zero he might go to Brian Lefowitz before he goes with the Blaine Gabbert. Uh,
0: all right. Uh, well, it's that time again. It's time for predictions. And we're going to have a boost at the end of this. We're also going to have the fellas unveil their favorite holiday song. Holiday song. Their favorite holiday song. But first, mm. Predictions. I'll go first because I think the Patriots are going to be in a situation where they come against this defense and they look at it. Josh McDaniel says, these guys are dis friggin' organized. They want to attack, attack, attack. They're allowing over five yards per carry defensively. We can get off on that. And they do. And the Patriots win this football game 31 to 30, 31 to 30. And everybody's starting to go, Hey, what's the path? Is there a path here? There's no path, but they still win 31 to 30 next. Who wants the ball?
1: I'll take the ball. I I'm going to say that the Cardinals win this one. It's going to be another close game and the Patriots are going to have a chance at the end as they have for so many of these weeks, but the Cardinals are still going to pull this one out. It's not going to be quite as high scoring as Tom's suggestion, but I'm going to have this one at at 24, 21. And I just think that Kyler Murray does enough. That's going to be able to give the Patriots a hard time. I don't know what their plan will be Matt, because I think, Last week, we saw what the plan was in terms of keeping a guy in the pocket. I think they're going to have to try to do that again, but it went so poorly last week in that first half. I think they're going to be able to score, score quickly, get ahead, put the Patriots in a bad situation. You have 24-21 cards.
2: Ooh, okay. Well, I'm definitely going the opposite direction. I'm going 31-20. What did you say? 31-something? I said 31-30. Yeah, I'm going 31-24 Patriots, and the main reason is what well, you kind of pointed to it. They're, they're not very good on defense right now. They're giving up a lot in the run game. Corey Peters just went out with a knee injury. They already lost Channel Jones for the season. Jordan Phillips and Zach Allen are both on IR still. They might not be back, so I'm talking about a defensive front that's kind of in shambles. Patrick Peterson is uh, – is that – in the, in my right I right? You're yeah. right. Yeah. Okay. At the cornerback position, he's getting a little bit older. Yeah. He's on the decline, you know? So I just think that they're going to be, have their way with them offensively. I think cam Newton's playing with confidence. He's taking care of the ball, which you want to see. They're going to get their run game back on track. I know Rex Burkhead had that devastating injury, but Sony Michelle can step up. So I think that they're going to be fine there. And then defensively again, it'll be interesting to see, but I'm sure bill will come up with some, with something. I am too. And, and he's not, and I would say this Kyler Murray's still a young quarterback in the League. He's still a young quarterback. They're going to be able to disguise with the multiple personnel groups that they bring in and confuse him a little bit. And then you know, hopefully, they'll be able to you know hold up on the back end, and that he won't have a day like Deshaun Watson. Did. Yeah, so that's, that's my why feeling. Is, is 30, the, Thirty-one twenty-four Patriots. Sorry, buddy. The the Murray
0: thing in his first time around seeing Bill. No matter what Kingsbury says, he's going to do to him. He doesn't really probably appreciate it until. Uh, and now for the Christmas song, I'll go first. I um. Just hits me right now, and it could change. But right now, it's silver bells.
2: Mm. Um, I'm a, I'm a chestnuts roasting. Oh, that's the Christmas open song. Fire. No, it's, you said it's a holiday season song.
0: No, but that's what the name of the song is. You dinks, don't make that face at me.
2: All right, sorry. I'm sorry. I just thought it I was just you know, got I'm so
0: mad.
1: angry. He got so even, mad. I didn't even know the name of the, that's his favorite song. I didn't even know the name of it. Who needs to know the name when you know the lyrics, boys? <laughs> when you know how it makes you feel in your heart. Gosh, it just that's me how me really you really know a song. Um, well, now that we've got little kids, uh, I'm really coming around to because it gets everybody in the house fired up. And I've always liked it. I don't know if it's ever been my favorite. It's my favorite now. It's Bruce's version of Santa Claus. is coming. to Town. Okay. It's just it's fun. You get the horns going. You get the Santa Claus, Claus ho ho, to ho to hoing down. in the background.
0: Not it's like, many, not
1: many.
2: I can't see any practicing anymore. that. Does anybody saxophone? like Trans Siberian <laughs> Orchestra? Ooh. <laughs> you better watch <laughs> out. You better not cry. Oh, God. That's a fun oh, one. not
0: many, not many. All <laughs> right, hope you guys all have. What is it? Do I have a digit up out there, Phil?
1: No, I was just shaking my finger at you. I was pretending to be Bruce. Oh. Not, oh,
0: many, yeah, nice. not many, not many. All right. Well, we're going to have to get together and do this. We're going to do this every week. We're going to highlight our favorite Christmas songs as we go forward. And at the end, there'll be a great karaoke event that we're going to have to to raise money for the current fund. Um, And that'll be happening uh, right after the golf tournament and the three on three event. Okay. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone.
2: Happy Thanksgiving.